and we're back. Welcome back, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of The Strut Talk. It's Ozzy, and today this episode is dedicated to all my nerds out there, my fellow nerds, because we are diving into the metaverse. We are getting into it. We're getting into our sci-fi bag, our tech bag, our emerging technologies bag, really just vibing out on what exactly our world is going to look like in just a few years. It's not even like far. We're in a world where virtual reality and augmented reality are soon to become staple parts. I guess they kind of are already here, but now the metaverse is like the hot new thing. It's so interesting to think about what people are going to be doing and what it's going to look like in just a few years. And I've got to say, I'm scared. <laughs> I will claim it. I'm scared. Let's just let's just pause the music for a second because I want I want to take you all down my imagination what I see. I see a bleak oasis and people in isolated little bubbles on these screens plugged up. And life seems so much sweeter in that world because you don't have to deal with the realities and the issues facing this world. And then you just get deeper and deeper into it until you forget what it feels like to have actual human touch. Until you forget what it feels like to have the sun actually touch your skin. Next thing you know, you're dead. (laughs) That's my deep, dark perception of the metaverse. And that is not necessarily what's even going to happen but that's where I go and that for me is an issue now I want to have a space where I can actually talk about what scares me about the metaverse like who's in control who's actually sitting and creating these realities that we get to tap into that makes me a little bit nervous but you know I think there's also a lot of benefits that come from the metaverse and emerging technologies and thinking about these things and the opportunities that they present to everyone. I just gotta find where those lay. And in order to do that, I had to call in a friend that knows way more about these kind of things than I do, but is also way more optimistic and rational when it comes to these things. I am an extremist in that sense. I'm I go off the deep end, y'all. I start coming up with all these crazy possibilities and they somehow all end up with us dying. So I need someone to help bring me back. I need someone to help me actually get rooted. Like, what does it really mean to be engaged in the metaverse? I don't know, but I'm here to find out. So let's spiral. Let's get into it. Let's dive into it. Let's peer into the metaverse. And, you know, maybe it won't be so scary. Today, we're going to be talking about the metaverse. And I just want to be clear that it means so many different things, right? It's like an endless possibilities of what the internet, what our relationship to technology can be. So this conversation is more centered around the process of normalizing emerging technologies and using the metaverse as a proxy. I have someone here with me today who every time we have conversations around tech, they always give me good insight because I'm on the other spectrum, the whole other end of the spectrum where I'm just like, I don't know about this. Whereas he's very much so like, let's talk about this. It's not that bad. This could happen. This, these are the potential benefits and whatnot. 
So I want to introduce my friend, Jem. Hi, Jem. Hey. Tell the people who you are and what your relationship to technology is beyond the fact that we use it every day, because obviously technology is here and I benefit from this stuff. You benefit from it. So it's not all bad, but go ahead and tell us who you are. Yeah. Um, well, my name is Jiminy Givens. I go by Jim. Uh, I'm currently studying computer science at the University of Hertfordshire, trying to get my master's in AI and robotics. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I try and dive deep on understanding computers at a fundamental level. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm deeply involved in the technology space, one might say. That is, first off, shout out to the master's program because yes, Thank you. we'd love to hear it. And when did your interest in this whole realm first peak? Like specifically AI, because that's kind of, that's very specific. Yeah, well, I feel like I've always kind of been fascinated with like computers and technology in general, but I don't think I really got interested or I didn't really see myself as someone who could be like involved in like software development and stuff like that until probably my senior year in undergrad. And I actually did my undergrad in marketing and I was really more into the business side of things, but um the second semester of my senior year we started seeing a lot of presentations about like smart cities and all the ways that technology was impacting business so i just started becoming like more and more fascinated with all of these technologies that i was hearing about and it got to the point where i was just like i realized how big a part of tech tech was going to be a part of my life in the future so i just like really wanted to understand what the future of my environment was going to be like at a fundamental level. So I just really started diving into like, how do computers work? Like, how do you build a computer? Like, how does the internet work? Just asking those questions. And the more I dug, the more I became interested. So I just kept growing with it until the point where I wanted to study it. Damn, that's real. Wait, so smart cities, like smartphones? Um, no, so smart cities was kind of a, the buzzword a couple of years ago. Mm. like 2017 <laughs> and it was like the internet of things was kind of popping off so all of these what they call edge devices where we're having like data passing between all of these different sensors and computers that are spread throughout our environment kind of like what we're now starting to call the metaverse but more focused on I guess the back end of data transfer and not so much like the visual aspect that's kind of been popular today. Mm. Okay, so you said a whole lot that I'm like, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> I might have kind of been throwing some jargon out there. Yeah, so I was like, I'm following. <laughs> I think I think I'm here with you still. But see, that's my whole thing about, about tech is like, I don't fully understand the things behind it. I just see it on the front end, right? And to me, I'm like, ooh, anything beyond that, I get lost in the sauce. However, I can recognize it's important to know what is kind of transpiring here because I don't want to be in la la land but this is a lot of power that we're handing over to technology so I feel like we should know stuff about it yeah that was like 100% my sentiments too like I really just I still don't understand a lot of this stuff myself so yeah you're just getting a master's or something you don't really understand I mean trying to you know continue to educate myself man so Mm. we're gonna figure it out though right I hear that So I love that you mentioned that smart cities was kind of the buzzword um, some time ago because the metaverse is like the hot new buzzword 
to describe these things that's, that have already kind of been here. So for instance, an article from Wired describes the metaverse as not referring to like any specific type of technology, but rather a broad shift in how we interact with technology. I thought that was interesting. However, it's still kind of very abstract. So for those of us who are looking to grasp onto um, a digestible definition, can you explain what you understand the metaverse to mean? Are you involved in the metaverse? Are you into the metaverse? And what, what does that mean to actually be into it? So I guess if it's just a way we're interacting with technology, we're kind of all in it already, but yeah. yeah that's um, <laughs> a very deep question. You kind of had me thinking when <laughs> I saw the notes earlier. I'm like, am I in the metaverse? I really don't know. <laughs> to be 100% honest with you. <laughs> but I think that that note that you have from Wired was actually really good, uh, a good approach to kind of understanding what this experience that we're calling the metaverse is and can be in the future. Uh, it's a combination of technologies, some that exist today that we're familiar with, like virtual reality, augmented reality, uh, blockchain technology, artificial intelligence even. But um, I feel like they are kind of coming together to create a new experience for us and how we interact with computers, um, similar to the way that I guess you could say maybe social media in the past couple of years has become the main application of computer technology. Now we're looking at a whole different computer interface experience, if you will, um, it's, it's really kind of hard to try and put into a, a compact definition, but yeah. the best I could do would be a combination of technologies that are going to contribute to the future of our experience on the internet. Right. So you mentioned VR, AR. What exactly are those? Um, so those are what I would call front-end technologies or computer interface technologies. That's the stuff that you see. Like, so for today, um, the interface technology would be like laptops, smartphones, these screens that we have in front of us, right? Mm -hmm. um, the idea behind augmented reality and virtual reality is that now this experience becomes more immersive. So instead of just being, you know, you using your fingers to type on a screen, now you might have you know, a virtual reality headset that completely immerses you in this digital experience, in this digital world. You might even have, you know, what they call haptic feedback technology. So gloves or uh, even suits of some sort that give you like physical sensations that, uh, like I said, fully immerse you in that digital world, whether it's through like gameplay or simulation or even people are starting to explore the idea of like just surfing the web and uh, I guess, physical or, yeah, almost simulation of our physical experience day to day. Wait, surfing. So you would be like surfing the web, like a virtual avatar would literally be surfing the web is what people are exploring. That is, yeah, very much a possibility in this next phase of the internet that we're calling the metaverse or web three. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna be real. I don't even... I've never used any, like, I haven't done virtual reality stuff. So I don't have like an Oculus, you know, I right. don't, like I'm not into that world whatsoever. So maybe I'm super biased, but I don't know. That sounds very 
Very interesting. But I guess we'll talk about like the benefits and the challenges later or soon enough. That just sounds kind of scary to me, though. I'm just hearing a whole lot of stuff that we don't need to be doing. Like, why do I need to be surfing the web as a virtual avatar? And maybe that's just, it's a choice. Like, you don't have to. But I'm like, do we really even need to be doing that? Like, maybe click on the, the keyboard and find what you're looking for. <laughs> I hear you. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I haven't had too much experience with uh, virtual reality myself. I've, I've used, like, a couple at, like, some exhibits I've gone to. But it's kind of hard to see the practical applications just initially, I would say, unless you know. But at the same time, you got to think about it. Maybe 30 years ago, people were saying, why do I need a phone that can fit in my pocket? You know what I'm saying? Like, so you don't really know what the impact of a technology can be until it kind of hits you, which is very much a a double-edged sword. You know, it can be a good thing, but could also be, it makes it hard to, you know, brace for what's to come right I that's such an interesting point about experiencing VR in at exhibits that you go to do Mm -hmm. you remember what that was like what exhibit it was that you went to because actually that's a really great point and I think that there's a lot of artists engaging those kind of intersections that again like you just said you can't really see how that impact the technology will be but if it's an expressive mode of expression for people I don't want to silence that either yeah. Um, well, I, I use the word exhibit a little loosely. I was at a convention called the Consumer Consumer Electronics Show. Of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I saw it as more, I guess, like a showcase of the technology, not so much an exhibit uh, on the artistic sense. But I have seen, uh, you know, projection technology, augmented reality and stuff of that nature being started to be used as a medium for art. And I do think that that's, you know, one of the, I think my favorite application so far is just, you know, allowing that creative expression. Mm-hmm. And that's just one of the myriads of things that it can do. Hmm. Interesting. I also thought this is, there was a mention of like the interoperability of these platforms on the metaverse. So essentially people would be able to take an avatar and go to different digital worlds Mm -hmm. and essentially experiencing a digital world as if you're in the physical world and I don't know that that is I don't know how I feel about that but I think if they're working towards an interoperability it feels like to me my my biggest fear here is that it sounds like a whole nother life you know like it sounds like it sounds like people will be able to choose which life they engage in. And maybe that's me thinking of a far dystopian future, but it just feels like that would be a whole different experience of life completely. I don't disagree. Um, Yeah, that's definitely a possibility, but I don't think that it would be in a way that is necessarily negative. And I don't think it's um, maybe necessarily even going to be as dramatic as a shift uh, as we we're anticipating. You know, like I said before, we've, we've had technological advances that have kind of shaken what we understand society to be. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, you know, whether it's the invention of the light bulb, the invention of the Internet itself or, you know, the advent of stuff like Uber, where I can just summon a taxi from my phone. 
Right. Um, these things have, you know, shifted the way that we live. There's always going to be a social impact uh, when a new technology is introduced. Yeah. But yeah, it's that's definitely something that we do want to be mindful of what that transition looks like. So it's actually funny because I was watching the Pam and Tommy docuseries or docuseries, docudrama last night. (laughs) And it was so funny because they were looking at, obviously talking about the sex tape and how it was spread. And so they were like, oh, it's on this thing called www. What is that? Oh, that's the World Wide Web. What the hell is the World Wide Web? And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that is Mamie. We have come so far. She was talking about, yeah, you need to plug your phone into it. And I'm like, wow, I don't even know what kind of breakdown that is. So, so not my experience of the internet whatsoever. So, all that to say, like, yes, technological impacts. We come a long way, and I'm happy about that. So that yeah. also highlights the tension of like, you should be, there's moments to be scared, but I'm still kind of benefiting from us advancing in this way. Right. And it's, it's a lot to take on because it's so rapid, you know, like we think about how fast technology is evolving these days, you know, um, it's just, it's hard to keep up mentally, you know what I'm saying? Like from the first cell phone to social media, from social media to whatever iPhone we're on today, it's just how quickly these technologies go from ideas to kind of clunky versions of themselves to, you know, part of our daily lives. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's hard to keep up. So it's understandable that you might have some reservations. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fully reserved over here. Maybe a little, <laughs> but fully reserved. So what are like, okay, thinking of kind of those things we just talked about and just the fact that the impact will eventually, can eventually will like form into something that's so normal and so everyday that we don't even realize how we adjusted to it. Could you describe what you imagine like some of the benefits of the metaverse could be like, for instance, I'm thinking I was reading actually about um, productivity and how there's like an anecdote from this article from the time about how a man was using immersive VR to kind of have a setup for work. So he would have, he would put on his headset every day and he would have in his headset these four different screens that he could kind of shift and make different sizes and, you know, kind of tweak with different things like that. Or even in the pandemic, people were having like VR virtual reality birthday parties or, um, human connection and how I was listening to a podcast, they were talking about how someone who's differently abled was able to experience the world in a different way through VR. So I'm just curious what you kind of feel like the benefits of the metaverse could be. Yeah, I think that last point you just made could probably be one of the most mm, exciting aspects of what the metaverse has to offer that accessibility point so uh, they call it inclusive design uh, creating with you know everybody in mind not just you know what we consider to be the standard human experience Um, and in a lot of a lot of ways when you uh, design with people you know who may have what we call disabilities in mind um, it usually creates a better experience for the masses right um so that is something that's really exciting in the uh the vr ar space the metaverse space uh creating experiences where people who may you know experience life in a more limited way 
have, you know, a, a different viewpoint, bringing the world to them in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also studies being done on the benefits of immersive educational experiences. So uh, simulations, whether it's gamification or interactive learning, uh, there was an example where they were doing uh, almost like virtual dissections showing yeah. uh, <laughs> different body parts when you have like this virtual reality t-shirt over the teacher was wearing. It's kind of interesting. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So it's like kind of like the idea of simulated pilot training and stuff like that. Now they're using this similar kind of idea in medicine and science. There's also... I think the potential on the back end of things, when you start talking about blockchain technology, artificial intelligence, uh, even quantum computing, there's security uh, aspects that are really beneficial of this new version of the web that we're exploring. So instead of having centralized data centers and stuff like that, we're looking at distributed networks, which have no central point of failure, which makes it harder to bring down internet systems. And with the idea of like the blockchain, you have basically transparent records of all changes on the network that can help you track, you know, the origins of content or the reach of a content for creatives. And that can ultimately help them have more control over their data. Right. I've heard of that, like with NFTs, the decentralized network is like something that people are really excited about. Because again, I I actually was confused by that because I didn't really know what it meant to have a decentralized network. But having you kind of break that down, I could see that now. So you're not just having like one server, one large server where everything is all connected, all information is being held, but you're having it kind of dispersed amongst little servers everywhere. Right. And it's kind of more of a mirror of how information flows in the natural world. So, you know, there's stuff that you and I know that we might communicate to each other Mm -hmm. and that information will be in places where it's relevant, not so much in one kind of hive mind held in the cloud. That's kind of the structure these days. So they call it peer to peer networking is something that is really exciting about these new technologies. Oh my gosh, peer-to-peer networking is kind of like Napster. Like there's a lot of law around mm-hmm. Napster. So law in the IP world around how peer-to-peer networking stuff kind of got a lot of companies into trouble actually, because that's what they fell on. Like, oh, well, we're not actually just like spreading infringing content. Like for instance, if someone's, someone took a song and then shared it to someone else, the, the mm-hmm. company that allowed that sharing would be like, well, it's a peer-to-peer network. We didn't do anything. Right. So that's kind of an interesting point to to note about that. I wonder what that would look like in this space, though, because I imagine that you mean peer to peer beyond sharing things that could be infringing on someone else's IP rights, but just information in general or direct transactions amongst people. Yeah, exactly. You know, very much in the same way that cryptocurrencies are kind of decentralizing the finance industry you just gave an example of uh, the same kind of idea with intellectual property so kind of taking away the need for those um, those middlemen in a sense those big corporations that essentially regulate or really just ultimately control these industries Mm. um, it kind of gives influence back to the creatives the people on the you know, the bottom of the pyramid to decide 
how they want to distribute their information, their, you know, their finances, whatever. So it, it's really a, a powerful technology that can, like I said, really have a dramatic social impact on the way that we understand the way we do things, how we interact with each other on various different levels. I'm imagining, though, that if you have something so decentralized, that's powerful. But on the flip of that, it would be hard to regulate something like that. Right. Like, we would not be, yeah, we wouldn't be able to like you couldn't essentially protect someone from exploitative things. I mean, obviously, we're already like you kind of mentioned, these big corporations are already controlling things. So in some sense, that's exploitative right there. But I just wonder what it would look like, what any kind of regulatory framework would look like for a decentralized marketplace. And if you even have a regulatory framework, but that's just thoughts that no one can really have the answers to now, I guess. (laughs) It's definitely unfolding right before our eyes. Right. um, This concept called smart contracts that you may have heard of that are no i have not heard of that gemini please what? oh you really, i would dive into that if i was you um that's going to be the future of intellectual property rights for sure um what? i don't want to say for sure but you know all things trending the same way they are now yeah um, it's very much tied to the blockchain space uh nfts things that you may have heard of smart contracts are essentially a part of the the new wave of blockchain technologies where you're you can essentially program the blockchain to function in a certain way so whether it's like certain conditions are met or violated within this contract that you draft up you essentially create the parameters for an agreement and an execution of a certain part of code so say i'm an artist and i put you know a piece of content up on your marketplace Mm -hmm. if i get if i hit a threshold that's listed in the smart contract that may unlock some funds to be sent my way through a cryptocurrency automatically Mm -hmm. and this can be done and i've set up in a way that you know and (laughs) pretty much any way that you would draft up a contract so you can like i said create your own parameters and every time that those parameters are met a certain piece of code is executed oh my gosh bro <laughs> so i'm actually about to write a paper this semester on nfts as kind of another proxy but for emerging technologies and what the commodification of expressive content looks like and so it's going to be exploring how using something like blockchain could be um very very empowering for creators of color who are historically disadvantaged in these IP spaces and monetizing their expressive work. But Mm. that is such an interesting concept. So I'm definitely exploring that more. What? Yeah, it's it's definitely, it's really cool. Like the things that they're doing, especially when it comes to like, like I said, giving power back to creators and allowing Mm -hmm. them to get their their just dues. Um, Another example of something that you could do with the technology is like programming in royalties for secondary market sales. So I know you're we were talking a little bit about NFTs. Some people will have it set up so there's smart contracts embedded in these NFT transactions. So when somebody purchases directly from them, obviously they will make some portion of that cut, probably split it with the platform that they posted it on. Mm-hmm. But there's also ways for them to benefit on secondary sales, which is something that artists haven't been able to capitalize on in the past. So if I like if I bought your painting from you, you know, 
in the physical world and I sell it for three times as much, you have nothing to do with that. That's, you know, none of your business, but now you can program it into your digital contract that if I were to sell it for, you know, however much I do, you get a 10% royalty cut or something like that. Bro, this is so crazy. And honestly, exciting. That it does excite me. That really excites me. I'm about to cite you in my paper. <laughs> I'm going to cite this episode. <laughs> okay, so there was a mention, right? Of like kind of going back to the decentralized you know, servers in general. Mm-hmm. So like in terms of one of the benefits I saw, I saw that there's like this idea that there'll be an ability to host hundreds of people in a single instance of a ser- on a single instance of a server. So essentially, ideally, future versions of the metaverse will be able to handle thousands or even millions of people at once. Or um, will be like motion tracking tools that can distinguish where a person is looking or where their hands are. But I'm like, aren't, aren't we already doing this with like social media or video games? So like, what is the difference? Can you, do you have any idea of what that might look like? I don't necessarily know that there is a difference. It's really just the evolution of that. So it's kind of like, you know, when you think about the first video game, you have that little joystick and then you have the two buttons on the side. Yeah. Like, you know, if you imagine playing like Pong or something like that or Pac-Man. Yeah. And then you move on to like, you know, the PlayStation that's like held flat with you both hands kind of you know, that interface. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, some people play their games on a PC, they use the keyboard. Now we're just talking about a shift in the the interface. So it's what we're using to communicate with these computers these days is the main thing. It's not so much, I would say, difference, but just an evolution. Right. Okay. So like an update, but metaverse update. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Following. So those are just some of the benefits. Those are just some of the, the thoughts and the, of what it could look like. And of course, again, it's like one of those things where we don't know, you know, but these are the things that we're thinking that it could evolve into. And I feel like with that, people get very excited about what the possibilities are. But to me, there's a lot of things that could be challenging and there's a lot of risks in moving towards this direction. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this quote that I read from Matthew Ball, who's the author of the forthcoming book, The Metaverse and How It Will Revolutionize Everything. And he says, there are five really important problems we haven't yet solved in the mobile internet. Data rights, data security, radicalization, misinformation, and platform power. If the fundamental premise of the metaverse is that we will spend more of our time, labor, leisure, wealth, existence inside virtual worlds, then by definition, every one of those five problems is exacerbated. The amount of data captured and the importance of that data goes up or the risks of data loss are intensified. And I really thought to myself, that's so true because we are experiencing like, I mean, look at what happened with the elections, look at what's happening with deep fakes, look at what's happening with um, radicalization. Also, if I don't know if you watched the new Batman yet, but that made me think about this quote as well in terms of spreading misinformation and radicalization via social media or the internet. So Mm. I'm just like curious what your thoughts on this quote are and what you think some of the risks are that, you know, even when you're excited about new things, what should you also be thinking about in terms of risks? Yeah. First of all, I haven't seen the new Batman, so no more spoilers. Oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) But um, 
No, I think this uh, this quote you brought up actually raises a lot of important points, and I wouldn't take anything away from that. I will only add, um, also, you got to think about, in my mind, the psychological implications of these technologies. You know, what is the access to all this information doing to our minds and this shift from analog to digital being so rapid? How is that impacting us, you know, on a mental level? Mm -hmm. Uh, Also thinking about the ecological impact of these technologies, which is uh, where a lot of reservation about blockchain is coming from these days. How is it impacting our environment? Yes. Um, Say it again. (laughs) Uh, These are yeah things that we really really need to think about uh as we do evolve and develop these technologies uh what is it doing to us as people what is it doing to our habitat i completely completely agree with that and off top i'm just thinking about we already have studies on how social media is impacting people we already know like when you talk to like look how desensitized we are to things like um just what's happening in the world because for instance when all the the killings of Black people were going on or when they go on, it's like you become desensitized to seeing those things because social media has made it essentially so easy to access these kind of horrific images to the point where it's like, what is horrific anymore? And does that impact how we experience pain and empathy for other human beings if we're experiencing violence and dehumanization on crazy levels? And naturally our mind is like, well, I can't do anything about it. So look past it, you know? Right. And like with the environmental impact oh my god I had this crazy conversation with professor and he scared me so he actually does um he studies around the climate change and he's an environmental legal professor Mm -hmm. and I'm sorry like he had some things that just made me so depressed I'm not going to say here right now like the specifics because I don't want to spread misinformation (laughs) but (laughs) not saying he's wrong but I know that I'm going to misquote what he said however I'm just like he, what the, what I did take away was that mining is the main issue for blockchain concerns and that mining creates more fossil fuels and that are emitted into our atmosphere, which we already know is disintegrating at a rapid rate. So right. yeah, it's so these are those are very important things to kind of be thinking about. And it scares me that we're just pushing on ahead. And it seems like with these big tech companies, there's no kind of account for that, you know? Yeah, it's it's tough because the technology itself has, you know, so many potential benefits, but the way it's being implemented is not ideal as of currently. I can't give you the exact study, but there was a study done that noted that a popular blockchain technology was emitting the same fossil fuels as the entire country of Denmark over a quick year. So it's not, you know, something to be taken lightly. It's not a joke. And there's really currently no incentives for corporations to, you know, not use this technology, regardless of its, you know, negative impacts on the environment, mm-hmm. um, outside of, you know, the obvious incentive of our livelihood. <laughs> but, right. you know, I'm um, like, yeah, these NFTs will mean so much when we're all dead. <laughs> right. You know, so valuable. Right. But, yeah. Um, yeah, it kind of speaks more to, I think, our current social setup mm-hmm. than the, the merits of the technology itself. Because 
uh, as your professor mentioned, mining is the main issue um, that is driving this uh, really unnecessary pollution. Um, and I say unnecessary because mining is really not an essential component of what makes blockchain beneficial when it comes to decentralization, when it comes to data security, mm. is not an essential function of the algorithm, is really just a means to an end that uh, other creative developers can find their own solution to that are hopefully much more uh, ecologically sustainable. Right. I, I heard someone has told me about something that's more a blockchain that's more um, environmentally friendly called Hedera. I have not looked into it myself that much, but I'm like, I'm hoping that that becomes something that people look more towards because there is an excitement around what NFTs can do for creative color and just distributive justice. But if we're telling people to flood that as a new um, access point to wealth or um, income for your expressive work, I'm like, Yes, I want that for you, but if it's going to come at the risk of the environment, no, no, I do not want that, you know, so if there's other ways to kind of look at that, that would be great, but I'm just going to clarify that point about mining, what does the mining do for, like, where does mining fit into the blockchain, right, because all we see is, like, the digital aspect, what is that mining component, what is that? Right. I don't want to spend too much time. I'm going to do my best. I do want to try and answer this question because I have done a little research on this in the past. Mm -hmm. um, but it's one of those things that really to understand deeply is going to take some time. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, to kind of try and summarize, um, I was talking a little bit about how we're trying to shift from a centralized architecture Texture for the internet to a decentralized, so a distributed network mm -hmm. um, way of setting things up, right? Mm -hmm. But, uh, and a side effect of that is that the, the data that is being distributed has trouble being consistent across the network, right? Mm -hmm. So you and I may have different versions of a file because we're on different sides of the network, things don't update as in sync as they would in a centralized structure. Yeah. So there's this thing to rectify that, what blockchain does, what Bitcoin, what Ethereum comes up with is something called a consensus algorithm. And this updates the network in a way that allows you to have it be simultaneous, not exactly at the same time. Um, and it, it keeps things functioning in a way where it's like there's an agreement on the current state of the network, if that makes sense, between mm -hmm. the different nodes. So, yeah, the mining is really just a way to ensure that the network is not being compromised, not being um, manipulated in any way mm -hmm. by any one user. So everybody kind of updates their copy of the network um and checks on each other to make sure we're all on the same page right mm -hmm. um but it becomes really computationally expensive to do that because the way that mining is set up in the original blockchain you pretty much have to just solve this really complicated math problem to pretty much make your computer like stall in a way oh hell no i don't do math <laughs> but it, it pretty much ensures that if 
if you're doing this computation, it would take way too much time for you to be able to compromise the network, basically, unless you have like the majority of the computers on the network cheating the system. Wow. So it's one way that a programmer, a group of programmers decided to solve this issue of inconsistency in the distributed network, but there's other ways you can go about solving the problem. Oh my gosh. Okay. Cause the whole time I was thinking <clears throat> when they're mining, I was thinking for the infrastructure, I'm over here thinking they're mining to like build, <laughs> please, please don't judge me to build like some kind of like actual physical, like shield around some kind of like, some kind of computer, you know? So this is interesting because now I see why it is possible to have other viable and economic friendly options if mining is just a way for a protection um, from any kind of breach, essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, it's not so, I'm not gonna say it's not practical, but it's not as practical as you were thinking, like it's an essential function of this, this structure that's being created. Yeah. It's just uh, a component. That makes me very much more hopeful then because I'm like, if it's if it's essential part, then it has to go. Like well, in terms right. of NFTs, y'all have to go. Blockchain, you mm-hmm. have to go. But if there's like other ways to do it, like Professor Givens, please go out there and find <laughs> something for us. <laughs> I still got a lot of research to do before <laughs> in that position. But no, it's definitely, um, yeah, I think one of the, the best parts about the the tech space right now is that there's usually a lot more than one way to get things done and that's the whole you know thing that we're after is finding the most efficient way what is the best way to do this yeah Um, so yeah oh I like that that was really cool to to hear and I actually feel like I have a better understanding of that now and you know what that's actually a great segue into the process of normalization and getting people to feel comfortable about certain things when we don't know about certain things. So the way that you just kind of explain something like that to me makes me feel way less adverse to blockchain because I know that even though that they're doing it in a way that's not great, there are many more possibilities to get to that same point in a much better way. So I wanna mention another quote by a very popular and respected science fiction writer, Ted Chiang, Um, So he says, there's no way the metaverse is going to help with things like income inequality or food deserts, people who cannot buy groceries, disparities and access to healthcare. None of those things are things that you can deliver through the metaverse. So if we're thinking about how normalization works, there's this element of, okay, we get used to it because we actually use it every day. But do we really need to have a digital life? do we really see a point where we can normalize a digital life when it's not doing anything for us beyond maybe entertainment content? You pose a lot of great questions. <laughs> like I said before, it kind of ties back into, you know, this technology is not in a vacuum. We're, we exist in a social context, so we can't just drop this technology in and think it's going to solve all of our problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm very hesitant to ever say there's no way um that something is possible just because of who I am as a person so like I said before we really can't say 
or it's really difficult to predict what the impact of a technology can be. There's already, for example, ways that cryptocurrency has shifted our understanding of value and uh, continue to do, can continue to do so in ways of creating local economies, uh, even driving shifts in currency valuations over time. It's really hard to say that a technology can't do something, right? Yeah. Um, it's just a matter of do the people who are in control of it want it to do something for everyone. Right. And, and yeah, who, who's making the decisions at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. um, there's also been impacts of immersive technology that, you know, it has impacts on purchasing trends. Mm. Um, you know, there's a possibility, for example, I, I, I'm thinking about that quote that you mentioned said, like, you know, it can, can't impact access to healthcare. Well, what if virtual sessions end up bringing the cost down to a point where, you know, more people are able to access healthcare because corporations no longer have to have these huge office buildings on their balance sheet, you know, like it's mm. as the culture evolves with this technology, hopefully things will change and hopefully head in the right direction. Yeah. Um, these are of course all idealistic, but not impossible outcomes. Right. Um, Going back to your point about do we need a digital life? Um, that's a really difficult and profound question. Um, <laughs> you know I'll be coming with those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit before about the, the potential benefits when it comes to accessibility. People who uh, may not experience what we might describe as a full life, um, you know, providing access for those those individuals, those demographics. Um, it can also, you know, encourage collaboration in a way when we're talking about immersive technology or, you know, kind of in the same way that social media has shifted the way creatives interact. Mm. Um, you know, that's, it's not unlikely that that will continue with these new innovations that come into play. Um, and also making our impact on our reality more tangible. So it's like, you know, I talk a lot about how social media, or you just mentioned it really, like when you have access to all this information, social media really put us in touch with the world for good or for bad in a way that had never been done before. You can see world news and, you know, have it in the palm of your hand. Mm -hmm. um, I think this can only really continue and our our awareness of our world may become even deepened if this becomes an immersive experience you know now all of a sudden it's not you know i'm watching uh, you know news or headlines about the war on my screen now all of a sudden i'm in a fully immersive um you know VR headset. I'm hearing these bombs dropping and stuff like that. I don't think I would do that to myself. I wouldn't probably yeah, click like, on the link, but you know what I'm saying? That can <laughs> shift your whole perspective and experience of this reality to, you know, uh, have it resonate with you in a different way, potentially. Mm. So, um, yeah, do we need this technology? I'm, I wouldn't say that, but I wouldn't say that it's something that we should shy away from because I think that this evolution is going to occur mm. and our focus should be on making it harmonious with nature 
mm. instead of viewing it as something that is foreign from nature. Mm. That is a great last point, Jim. I really <laughs> like, I don't even really have words for that. I was like, that was so poetic. <laughs> I'm just like okay because you already know how I feel about this kind of stuff so I'm like mm, that actually is a really nice point of just like as humans we're a part of nature in some in some form so this is kind of evolving from our relationship amongst each other and amongst nature itself as we try to figure out what could benefit all of those players I guess I that question really comes from so I live in LA and everywhere and honestly when we were both back in the bay like we saw it there too like the amount of people who are experiencing homelessness right now you know mm -hmm. and the growing number of people who are experiencing homelessness or the crazy how crazy expensive it is to live in places like california new york um london or even the fact that places where people thought they could run to like in texas are increasingly gonna get increasingly expensive as well so I guess my, that my whole thought there with that question was like, we're paying so much attention to these different experiences of life when our current experience of life is shit, for lack of better words, for many people, you know? And Girl. so it's like, if we have all this technology to do all these incredible things, why aren't we addressing certain things that are, we see every day, that we experience every day? Because to me, even though we're all kind of engaging in the metaverse in some way by experiencing Web 3.0 in some shape or form, not everyone's going to be going to put on a VR headset, right? Not everyone's going to be going to like engage in whatever kind of new form that it comes out. But so I can guarantee nine, nine out of 10 people are going to drive by someone who is living on the streets. You know, I can guarantee everyone is looking for a place to live that they can afford or thinking about how they can pay rent. Or if you're not thinking about how you can pay rent, you know, rent is coming or your mortgage is coming. So those are things that I'm like, what are we doing for those? And maybe tech is not the place that we question that. Maybe that's a whole different conversation, but it just feels like with humans, with our society, there's always this attention to the new hot thing. And then it's like, but wait, Earth is like waving her hands in the air. What about me? <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, that's, that's real. And like you said, it's a, it's a conversation that I think deserves its own, um, you know, full attention because it's not something you can sum up in some, you know, one sentence catch-all answer. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of factors that come into play, but I don't think technology should be excluded from those conversations. I think that um, it is a very powerful tool that can help guide us in the right directions for hopefully driving solutions to these, these issues that have been, you know, continuing to burden us for so many years. Yeah. Um, I think that there's promise with the, the potential of the technologies. I think that I hope that as these technologies continue to evolve, we evolve with them. Mm. We change our, our views. We, we listen to the data, the science, the information. Mm. And <laughs> you know, people have trouble with that. Accordingly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But hopefully, like I said, maybe, um, you know, maybe data becoming immersive makes it more tangible for people and maybe mm. we get a little bit more. So yeah and i feel like if we have, yeah 
if we have people like you up there too, kind of engaged at these ground level processes, there might be a little bit more trust established as well. Cause I think that's the big thing is like, tr- I can't trust that a lot of these players have the, and t- like, I'm not trying to be super polarized, but it is kind of, there's a lot of distrust right now being out there. And so I think it would be great to have people, especially in, I think some of that distrust is not unwarranted um, for especially black people. We've seen how these things have been against us for so long. So it feels different to have someone up there who is looking at the data, looking at the science and trying to figure out what can really benefit everyone. Especially what you said earlier about um, if you're implementing these things with people who are differently abled in mind, starting at that baseline, then you're going to be able to create a better experience for everyone because you're starting from a point that is completely, completely different from the what is normalized or what's normal, whatever that means, you know? Right. So yeah, I I, I guess I'm, I'm not also tossing technology out of that conversation. I would just hope that people are viewing technology as something that is not exclusive from those conversations either. Right. And I think you really just raised a really important point about the importance of inclusivity in these spaces. So Mm -hmm. um, not just, you know, um, what you think of when you think of a computer programmer, but we want to shift the the face of that, you know, making sure everybody's experience is included when we're developing these technologies, not just able-bodied people, right just, you know people of a certain you know race or religion all the experiences and walks of life become vital when you're talking about uh the development of these technologies because um everybody has their own experience and perspective and if you're creating with inclusivity in mind it's going to bring the most benefit for the most people mm, yes i'm I'm gonna pick up on that polarizing um, comment I just made because I think this is also highlighting the real, another question about where do we draw the line between fear of the new and credible concerns without like limiting human curiosity, right? Because if we're someone who's experienced things on the, the end of like the short end of the stick all the time, right? It's kind of hard to look at something that's new and emerging and that's clearly benefiting corporate powers in some sense, who are the people who are tossing their rings into the, tossing their hats into the ring. Mm-hmm. It's, it sounds almost natural to be like hesitant, you know? So I'm like, where do we draw that line? Because I do, I do think there should be some element of, we, we look at what this new technology could possibly be. What could the metaverse mean for our lives? But there has to be a balance between the fact that there are some credible concerns without it being like, oh, you're just completely um, anti-progress, you know? Right. I feel like, I think you mentioned it, um, people getting involved in the space. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So using that curiosity and uh, respecting that curiosity, you know, asking those questions, um, you know, to understand on a more fundamental level these technologies so it becomes less to fear in a way. Um, having people 
who can relay the information. Not everybody's going to be a computer scientist, but having people that can relay the information effectively and efficiently and in a digestible way for uh, the masses that can be trusted, most importantly. Yeah. Um, that, that becomes very important as well. But um, yeah, I, I think not shying away from those uncomfortable or scary conversations. Don't, uh, you know, bite your tongue when it comes to what your concerns are about these technologies, because those are likely going to be the most critical design elements or, you know, the, the, the tipping point, what makes a technology great or what makes it, you know, good enough to sell. Mm -hmm. um, when we're talking about great, I mean, like, actually positive impact beyond, you know, capital, something that drives social change, something that, you know, improves our living standard. Um, so, yeah, being critical, I think, is just as important as, you know, endorsing or creating these technologies. Yeah. I'm thinking, how would someone kind of get engaged in a conversation around this, right? Because if these conversations are happening beyond closed doors or behind closed doors or, you know, where does someone, an average person kind of express their concerns without it? Because I guess you could take it to social media, but, right. you know, I'm thinking about policy initiatives. Like we know there's so many lobbyists for these tech companies that go to Congress and lobby, they throw their money into lobbying, you know? So like, is an average person supposed to go to Congress or like, you know what I mean? Like, do we sign petitions or do we, you know, like have these conversations with professors at school or maybe it's a combination of all these things. But for someone like myself where I'm like, yeah, I have these concerns. I don't know necessarily who I tell them to though, you know? That's true. Um, I'm not necessarily sure if I have the answer to that question. I think you raised a lot of good um, options there. Maybe all of the above, probably ideal. Um, but for the average person that might not be, you know, feasible. But yeah. I think just doing stuff like this, you know, talking to your tech friends, seeing what they think, raising the concerns, trying to get a better understanding for yourself, starting local, starting mm -hmm. with who you know. And, uh, you know, like I said, just respecting that curiosity and feed it, you know. Yeah. Try and, um, try and articulate it to yourself, you know, write it down. What is your concern? And then you can, you know, formulate that into a real question that you can do some research on, type it into Google, Google Scholar. Um, yeah. That's my, you know, good resource there. Um, <laughs> <but yeah. laughs> Just, like I said, respect that curiosity and, and go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Ask those questions. So I love that you said, um, find what your anxieties around the thing are, the thing is, because for me, I, I located my two anxieties being like, on one end, the whole sci-fi sci is a great reference point for what an emerging technology like the metaverse could be. Because like, for instance, my whole idea of the metaverse prior to doing any research was that we were about to be plugged into the matrix. Right, I was like, I texted you. Yeah, I was like, what the hell? The matrix is now. <laughs> so I, I was like, that's not okay for me. I'm not comfortable with that whatsoever. Um, so I kind of started, that's one end of my, my fears, my anxieties, is that there's such an unrealistic optimism of like the actual abilities of these technologies. Mm -hmm. And we, as a larger majority, we're just getting fed whatever this is. And then on the flip of that, my other anxiety was who gets to actually curate these digital spaces, these digital vir virtual realities? 
because some of the infrastructure is being built by like video game software companies. And then the other aspect of it is being built by tech giants like Facebook and Amazon. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little bit concerning to me that even if a user is like creating their own virtual reality, for instance, if you have a digital avatar and a virtual reality game, you could create and do all these different things within it, but you're still within their parameters. So, you know, like there's still an element of control in those things. There's still an element of, we don't know what's happening behind closed doors, yet we're so consumed by the products around us that are created by a small few. And that's, those are my two big anxieties around it, you know? Yeah, and those are very, very valid. Uh, and you bring up, once again, great points, especially when it comes to that second point about, you know, who, who gets to curate this, you know, who, who's in charge pulling the strings with these technologies. But your first point about sci-fi being a big reference point, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got one aspect where you can kind of look at it, you know, as the matrix or you know ai with like the terminator and stuff like that mm-hmm. but then you got guys like me here optimistic and when i heard the metaverse i'm like oh we're doing ready player one like it's gonna be a <laughs> game it's gonna be lit <laughs> but isn't ready player one isn't it like a dystopia itself too i haven't seen the movie so 100 percent. and okay. that kind of back to um you know uh they actually have a character or you know some company in the movie that has like a disproportionate hold on this metaverse that they work with and play in too so that's kind of that's the antagonist in that story too Um, but (laughs) uh, I do think on the bright side that the hackers still run the internet man I think you know you ask the question who gets to curate this reality and the the beautiful part uh, about computers has always been that it's all of us, you know, mm. we, we get to co-create this and is there going to be big players? hundred percent. You know, like I said, we don't exist in a vacuum. There's always going to be a social context that this is evolving in, mm-hmm. but I do think as time progresses and as we continue to educate ourselves on these technologies, I think in the tech, in the computer space, we stand to level the playing field, you know, most quickly out of any other battlefield that I could think of Hmm. so um Jim with another poetic quote who curates reality (laughs) all of us (laughs) yeah right it's it's one big big chat room it's twitter but 3d (laughs) right right oh my god that sounds like hell (laughs) chaotic but you know (laughs) I'll just find my own little twitter section you know I don't need to see everything that's fine (laughs) yeah because I mean like I love I actually do really like sci-fi. I like Octavia Butler. I like um, some episodes of Black Mirror that don't freak me out, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, Westworld. I like these things too. Like those are interesting points, but yeah, they, I think that's so helpful to kind of have those as reference points only because it helps us imagine what a future could look like, right? It might not be the future we want, but because we have something that we're like, oh, we don't want that, you know? Or there's elements that are like, desirable we can kind of see and have something to kind of work towards or think about or mm. anyone like me who is completely on the other end doing other things not engaged and just kind of receiving whatever is produced and put out there by tech developers it just feels like sci-fi is a way for me to kind of engage and imagine as well you know yeah but I really do like the idea of everyone kind of having some kind of stake in curating this thing because I was like when I wrote that thought about that I was like what is the process like if I was a regular person like I can just develop my own space like I could be a developer right 
Mm-hmm. Like, how does one even get into this field? Like, as someone who's kind of in the field, what was your like path to getting there? And would you develop software? Do you think you'd ever do that? Um, I would really love to learn how to, you know, develop these applications from scratch. I do have some coding capabilities, but I haven't really built anything. Damn, so um, you have the 0111002, or no, there's no two involved. There's only zeros. Right? <laughs> no, I'm not binary level. Most people aren't binary level these days. But What the hell does binary level mean? <laughs> That's the ones in zero. Oh, okay. Okay, I know <laughs> that. We have coding languages like, you know, Python or um, JavaScript these days. Ah, okay. Um, they're a little bit what we call higher level. So they're pretty much just closer to human language as opposed Damn. to ones and zeros. But um, there is no real clear-cut path into tech, which is, you know, um, a gift and a curse in a way. Because mm-hmm. um, as much as I would love to give, you know, the go-to roadmap for somebody, I, I haven't even found it myself. Mm. But at the same time, you know, that also means there's no real restrictions or rules to say, you know, you have to come from this background. You have to be good at these things. I think there's an avenue for everybody whether it's you know if you think you're very strong in mathematics you can look more into logic and algorithms you can be looking at you know machine learning statistics stuff like that yeah. if you feel like more of an English person or a language person there's you know natural language processing that's another uh, aspect of artificial intelligence or if you feel like you're more of a creative and a designer, you can look at CSS and HTML and JavaScript do like web design uh, and express your creativity in that way. So um, like I said, there's really no one framework or one way to get into this space because this space is so broad and you know has room for everybody really. Yeah. I do think though that moving forward, um, it's gonna become easier and easier because I think we are starting to recognize the importance of understanding this technology as a society. Mm. So I, I don't find it unreasonable to think that in the coming decade, you know, you might have a computer literacy course that would be maybe even at the elementary level, like we do spelling tests and stuff like that. You might have a coding class as early Damn. as second grade, you know, so. Imagine how smart those kids would be. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's tough to imagine, but it's also, you know, not because they're already so like even gen z blows my mind now we got what the alpha kids coming they only know computers so it's only gonna you know continue to snowball yeah i'm like say it again me and my mom be looking at my little sister she's she's 19 we'd be like jamie what what do we do here what what is this like help us i'm like damn i'm not that old (laughs) but yeah they like i said evolve so quickly yeah that's wild and it that is so so interesting like there is a place for everyone like I was reading on this thing that was talking about this woman who still within the parameters of the game but she like has started designing pets and accessories on I think the game was second life and I'm Mm. like wow she's out here designing pets and accessories and making money off of it because people are buying these things you know Mm -hmm. or a virtual world like there's real life currency (laughs) to be made in a virtual world that's mind-blowing I'm like okay well I'll write poems or write a story like so your avatar could read a book (laughs) (laughs) money pay for my books right here (laughs) and if you could think it you could do it in the metaverse that's the cool Mm. part 
Dang, okay, another poetic quote. Wow. <laughs> you, you, okay, killing it, three for three. But so with all of these factors that we've kind of talked about, you know, we've scratched the surface and it's hard to really dive deep into this because there's so much to talk about. Like we went on so many different tangents in so many different ways, but do you think that, I, I already know your answer to this, but I'm still going to ask it. <laughs> Why is this not a hype that will fade away like other trends? Because things have come, things have blown up. There's been a lot of eagerness around new tech and then faded away. What makes us different? Mm, I feel like this once again, is an evolution. So it's not so much one thing that you can kind of pinpoint. You can say maybe the NFT boom, when we're talking about, you know, just people buying these images or these artworks, not to discredit them, um, that could be considered somewhat of a fad or have some hype aspect to it. But when you start talking about the, the way that these technologies are going to come together, and create this new experience of the metaverse. It's it's really at this point highly unlikely that anything else can happen. Um, whether you want to attribute that to the investment of the big players like the Facebooks and the Amazons of the world, um, but when you just look at all of the the trends that are occurring simultaneously, everybody's kind of leaning in this same direction. Mm. So uh, yeah, it's it's. It's not so much if it will happen, it's how it's going to unfold is I think the question at this point. Dang, yeah, how? I'm like, okay, I, I, can, I can accept that. It's a, it's a big pill to swallow, but I can accept that for the mere fact of what we kind of talked about, what it could bring and the potential for so many people to get involved that it doesn't have to necessarily be bad. Um, so then what do you imagine like Jem once he graduates with his master's and I'm so sorry, I all I can remember is AI because you dropped so many other things and I was like, AI. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you imagine your role to be in such innovation? Like I remember we were talking one time and you said, yeah, we have to start thinking about our roles in it because it's coming. So do you want to be left behind? You know, is what I took away from that. Or do you want to figure out where you fit in? And that doesn't have to mean like you just fit in because I'm, I had no other choice, but it's an exciting moment to think about where you could fit in and what you could develop alongside it. So what is right. your kind of imaginations for yourself look like? Um, I would hope to be somebody who kind of spreads the word in a sense of, you know, all the opportunities that are going to come from these evolutions in technology. So kind of playing that educator role, maybe not necessarily at the, you know, university level or even at a formal level really, but being an advocate for these types of technologies, mm. um, you know, especially in communities of color, uh, you know, people who may not be typically thought of when we're talking about, you know, the tech world, but spreading the word, getting people excited about the possibilities, letting them understand that, you know, I was a person who didn't think of myself as a coder or developer or computer scientist, what have you. I never thought I had the mind for it. I thought you had to, you know, be really good 
at math and reasoning and all that. Um, but eventually found my way to this path. So not not being afraid of it really would be my my main point. And I feel like I could be a person who tries to bridge that gap for people. Yeah, I mean, you're helping me for sure. Because anytime I feel scared and be like, I'm all this shit. I just come tell you and you say something. I'm like, okay, I guess that's not that bad. You know, so you're already doing it and that's cool. Well, I, I appreciate like, that. Really do. Yeah, no, you are very, and also maybe just, it could be your, um, your very soothing voice of just like, it just sounds so like unconcerned. <laughs> it's just so like, what do you mean? What, what? No, tech could do this. Imagine this. <laughs> but I feel like my role, I would be interested to see, like, I guess, obviously, there's an element of my legal background now. It will be really interesting to think about how the law intersects with new spaces, because the law catches up to things very slow. So right now, something like NFTs are considered the wild, wild west, because there's not a lot of regulation legally. And that, for that reason, there's a lot of risks involved there because it's a win. It could be a windfall for people, essentially. Uh-huh. So I think for me, I would be really interested in seeing in in kind of engaging a role that carries IP, particularly copyright and trademark. Because I don't do patent, I don't do science, and <laughs> I don't do that either. But um, yeah. <laughs> you know, like what is that? That is so foreign to me. <laughs> But I would imagine that's where I would kind of intersect. And also still for my creative aspect, I definitely want to still engage things creatively. And I think it'd be kind of cool to have maybe one day a virtual, a virtual chat, like a virtual OZ show, like the Oprah show, but just mm-hmm. in the room, like <laughs> on in, you know, the strut talk in virtual reality. Like, I don't know. Yeah, in the metaverse, in VR, in AR. You know? I see it. I you see know? It. Right. Or maybe that's where I could have a really, truly, like, really restart my modeling career again in a virtual world with a virtual mm-hmm. avatar. <laughs> yeah, a fashion show. I'd be into that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, I can see all of those things. And the cool part about tech is it gives you opportunity to be creative about your creativity. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you can find your avenue. You can create your avenue in a sense, really find an overlaps with what your interests are. And mm-hmm. you just mentioned a lot that I think, you know, make a lot of sense for you and I can see it definitely. Right, yeah. I'm just like, as long as we have some kind of engagement with what's happening, that's all that really matters to me is being able to kind of have input and not, I would really like for people to, like you mentioned earlier, be critical, not, I just don't feel like we should be sheep and be like, okay, this is right. thing. Sure. I'm taking that face value. Yeah. You know, really, really dive deep sometimes. Yeah. I just want to make sure that if there's anything else on your heart about where we're headed into and what's going to happen and, you know, just people sitting and thinking after this great conversation, I want to make sure you have a space to be able to say anything on your mind. Once again, thank you for even inviting me for this conversation. Yeah just as dope as I was anticipating. You know, we always do what we do. Period. (laughs) (laughs) It's always, you know, good vibes, open space, and I appreciate that. Advice for people who may be anxious about 
tech advancements? What I usually do with my anxieties is I take them and I flip them on their head. So I came across this uh, technique called a reverse assumption. So when I first came across it, it was like, they gave me the example of imagine a restaurant experience, right? Mm -hmm. And when you do this, you have sort of, you know, an idea of what that's like. You come in, you sit at a table, you get a menu, you pick what you want, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But when you're talking like reverse assumptions, you you take all the rules off the table. So what would a restaurant experience be with no menu or no table? Or, you know, like, what can you do? Can you have a restaurant experience with no food? Like, is that the line? Like, what lines can you cross, basically? So it's kind of taking, you know, what you accept for truth or what you're telling yourself in your anxieties and kind of flipping it on your head. Like, what, ex- what if the exact opposite was true? Oh. Um, and I think... That's a useful tool for me when it comes to dealing with, you know, anxieties about the future or potential outcomes, whatever. Um, But it's also a fun tool for creativity. So, you know, when you have a fear that arises about the metaverse, for example, you know, what are the the negative implications? You kind of flip it and say, what if the exact opposite happens and you, you curate, you know, what that solution would look like? How would that play out? And you, you unintentionally almost end up uh, actively participating in kind of debunking your original fear. Mm, I really like that. I'm like over here thinking about all the things I'm, I'm afraid of right now, like <laughs> finishing school and getting a career and being unhappy. But I'm like, but what if I'm not unhappy? <laughs> what, what happens then? What does that look like? You know? Mm. Um, I really like that. Okay, Jim. So also you're a therapist. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm like a tech therapist because you're going to be out here uh, like easing people's minds about technology and it's changing. And I'm like, I'm about to reverse assume everything right now. <laughs> I encourage it. I do challenge those. Ask those questions, man. Challenge those thoughts. What, what they say, don't believe everything you think, right? <laughs> Wow, did they say that? I'm, I didn't even know that. I've never heard of that. I'm like, okay, yeah. I got that from Erica Badu. I think. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm so sorry, Mother Queen. Wow, okay. <laughs> I, I like that because I'm an overthinker. So yeah, there's a lot of things I don't need to actually believe. <laughs> but, no, that's some analyze them. Are those even your thoughts to start with, you know? Mm, yeah, well, yeah. Thing. This has been such a fruitful conversation. It's actually, I've learned oh, so much in this just this little bit of time. And there's so many things like smart contracts I'm about to dig into because that sounds so interesting and relevant to what I'm thinking about for my paper and just as we move with these new things in general. But thanks, Em. Mm-hmm. You're such a gem. thank you I appreciate you you got me thinking about a lot of things too so I'm really really glad we had to have this conversation likewise 